0: Hello and welcome to Lit with Meredith. I'm your host, Meredith, and today I am joined by writer and English teacher M.K. Brake. She holds a Master of Arts in both poetry and nonfiction writing. She is the author of the poetry collection The Taxidermist Girl, published by Dancing Girl Press in 2016. Welcome to the podcast, M.K. Hello. Thank you for having me. Fabulous. So, um, this is a project that I've put together for my students and our school community to kind of connect us in a time when we feel very disconnected over a shared topic that I think we all have some sort of connection to. Um, so I'd love to dive right into your experiences with like your early experiences with reading sure. and writing. Um, what's the first book you ever remember reading?
1: Um, it's interesting my actually the earliest memory i have at all is of Mm -hmm. my father reading the hobbit to me um okay so i i think i was about four and he would read it to me before bed every night so even though i didn't actually read that myself that's the first memory Mm -hmm. um of literature and actually i don't really remember it it's i think my earliest memory really in my life so it left quite an impression on me
0: <laughs> and that's a challenging text to start out with
1: yeah i don't know i think it it um maybe uh set my future as a lover of of reading and of of fantasy novels perhaps um mm-hmm. it it didn't feel It felt very immersive and and, and magical and and transporting at the time. So um, I don't remember the difficulty, but I know that you're right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that early experience um, with like escapism and fantasy kind of shaped who you are now as a writer or who you were as an early writer?
1: You know, it's interesting. Um, I... There, there's this school of thought in kind of the literary scene today. Uh, having been through two graduate programs, they, they, the 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 literary community tends to kind of look down its nose at escapism. Um, mm. And on some level, I agree with that. I think that the best works of literature, what kind of differentiates differentiates literature from just kind of a trade paperback is that that it asks you to participate in the reading experience in an interactive way as opposed to a passive way. Um, so as a writer, I'm really interested in that idea. And I try to amp up the interactivity between the page and my readers as much as possible. Um, but there's a difference between the kind of writing I love to do, and I do love to read writing that's like that, but I also love to spend an afternoon reading a text that is more just pleasurable, um, escapist. So as a reader, that that has still m- maintained a hold on me, though as a writer, I think I, I wrestle a little bit with with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, have you always been a writer? Um,
1: I decided that I was going to be a writer and a, a teacher of literature when I was nine years <laughs> old. So mm. um, there there were a few years beforehand. But um, yeah, I just, I was like a really curious child and um, mm-hmm. I liked learning, but I was also very ADD, very distractible, very, I had all these questions going on in my mind at once. And I went to a pretty strict religious school. So I struggled at first to fit into Mm. their way of um, running a classroom, just education in general. And it wasn't until I got to third grade and we did creative writing for the first time that I found a kind of vessel for, for all of my creativity and curiosity that was still considered kind of like appropriate and academic <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. and it was
1: the first time I ever fell at home in an academic space and I just fell in love with it immediately.
0: Hmm. Did the... um. What kind of books did you read as a, as a, a, student or, um, a kid? Um, I,
1: I mean, I know this is so typical, but I think, I think that, um, Harry Potter was a huge defining aspect of my youth and my adolescence and my teenage years and my adult years, <laughs> <laughs> um, So, yeah, like I said, I've always really liked uh, fantasy, magic, um, anything with witches or um, uh, mermaids was a big thing for me for a while. Vampires in my later years. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I also started reading. I also always really loved poetry. Um, I got my hands on some Emily Dickinson pretty early in my life and actually started writing short poems around nine years old as well. Um, So I can't remember too many other specific names aside from Emily Dickinson that early, but I would say Dickinson and Harry Potter were a pretty big deal for me in elementary school.
0: (laughs) I mean, what a dynamic (laughs) duo you have there. (laughs) Uh, Kind of. I, I was going to say two edge of the same sword but those are totally different swords. Um but I think it does show the range of interests that a person can have. We're not limited to one genre or one voice. Um
1: yeah, I think that for me I'm not a I'm not a fiction writer. I'm a non-fiction writer and a poet, but I do love stories. I'm just not very good at writing fiction because it's so linear, like I, it's that it's the same way, like my mind works, even when I was a child, Mm. like, I'm interested in making strange connections and leaping from one image to another, like, that's what I like to do. That's what brings me joy when I write. And I think that that's the kind of mind and the kind of thinking I want to show on the page. But I love reading fiction. I just don't. I I I love those stories. I love falling into them and losing myself in them. But when it came to me sitting down and then actually trying to put words to a page, um, even from a very early age,
0: poetry made more sense to me. Yeah. Mm. Um, when you do go in search of a book, what kind of attracts you to different books? Are you, um, going by recommendations from others? Are you, is it the blurb on the back? What attracts you to different books?
1: Um, well, I have the benefit of having so many friends that are writers having done six years of grad school in writing. So, (laughs) um, I definitely put a lot of stock in recommendations from my, my friends, Um, and from my professors, many of whom I'm, I'm still in contact with. Um, Mm. but I also, um, you know, it goes even further to, if I, if I trust a bookstore, you know, there, there are certain bookstores that, um, you know, I know that I'm gonna be able to spend some decent time in the poetry section, um, like, let's see, I think there's Powell's in Portland was the last really cool one I went to. It's this mon- monstrosity of a bookstore and they have this incredible poetry section, whereas if you go to Barnes & Noble it's like one book. Oh.
0: <laughs> Believe me, I understand yeah. what you're talking so, about.
1: Um, um, it's, I, if I go into a bookstore, I know and respect, I'll just sit down in front of the poetry section or the nonfiction section and the kind of poetry and nonfiction I'm drawn to tends to look pretty experimental on the page. So I actually can just like mm. kind of flip through the book as well. Um, get a feel for the language and for uh, the shape of the writing. Um, and um, we'll pick up book books at random that way as well.
0: I've always found purchasing poetry to be one of the more challenging genres in that uh do you get a collection just by one writer do you get a um, collection that has a, a number of different writers like how do you when you're sitting in a bookstore trying to mull over um collections of poetry what what are the determining factors in this is the one i want to walk away with
1: um yeah that's a good question i i think that um again, having studied so much creative writing, I had the benefit of having some anthologies that my professors gave me and I had some awesome professors who um, uh, really opened up the world of poetry for me. So it's nice having an anthology that you can then use as a gateway, right? Um, And when it comes to anthologies, I do think that just flipping through the table of contents, if I know, three of the writers and I really love them and there's 20 writers that might be a good sign for me um blurbs work nicely as well in that regard if there's a writer I love who's blurb the anthology then that's that's going to be a good sign for me
0: yeah um let's delve into something entirely different what would your ideal day or like afternoon of reading look like Describe the setting to me. Oh gosh. Okay. Um
1: so I think in a library Mm. that is um very uh it's dark wood paneled.
0: Okay. With you so far. Um
1: a really cushy brown leather chair. So Mm. so it's fairly dark inside, but I'm sitting next to a big window and there's sunlight pouring in and I have a chai tea latte that's, that's it that's it for me yeah
0: that that really sets the uh it really sets a tone like, <laughs> I think I, I think of like wood paneled walls and um you know a nice hot drink um I think of uh, a lot of the more like English and British libraries with like two stories, and one of the stories is kind of like looking down on the mm-hmm. other, the very Harry Potter style mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah. of library. Ideally, I'm at least on the second floor. Higher um, the better, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: There's this like balance that you want to um, meet between. Being visible and able to see other people, but also isolated enough that you can actually get some reading done. Absolutely, yeah.
1: That's
0: what um, always like
1: libraries
0: because you can be with other people,
1: but you're still um, in your own space as well. Because
0: it's just library etiquette. So, <laughs> right. It's funny how much our lives right now are kind of resembling libraries. Uh, we're all yeah. kind of cooped up in our houses, surrounded by books. I mean, I do um, think
1: that I really like that you're doing this project because um, I would say that um, I I feel resistant to some of the modes of thinking in the world right now about like, oh, like everyone has so much time, like you need to make the best of it, blah, blah, blah. I think that that might be true for some people and for others like this is a really difficult moment and just because we have mm. more time to sit in our house doesn't mean we can necessarily manifest that into productivity but it was when i started using this time to read for pleasure that it felt like a luxury like that's one of the things that I'm grateful for in this moment because I really don't have time to read for pleasure. And even if I do have a whole day on a weekend to myself, because I'm going, going, going constantly, my mind, it's hard for me to settle down and and be calm and in a space where I feel comfortable just sitting and reading for hours on end. Um, I've lost kind of the ability to settle in that way in my adult life. Um, And this has um, allowed me the opportunity to not have anything else to do, but sit on my butt for hours on end. But I really have loved being able to spend some time reading.
0: So this uh, is a perfect segue into what are you reading right now?
1: Um, I'm actually, um, reading two things right now that kind of occupy both ends of my, of my, uh, interest spectrum. So, okay. um, I am rereading, Um, one of my favorite books of all time, maybe my favorite book of all time. It's called Agua Viva by Clarice Lispector. It was originally written in Portuguese. So I'm reading a translation, but it's, like I said, I have two modes of reading that I enjoy. One that's pretty intense and kind of laborious. And I have to really work at, and work at the text and work with the text to figure out like where I fit into that text. Um, Mm. And Agua Viva is the perfect example of that. I think um, it's like part diary, part philosophy, part craft manifesto. And it's this short little nonfiction book. And it's basically just Clarice Lispector's thoughts on like what it means to create and like what it means to be alive. Um, But the way that it's written, it's in these tight little paragraphs that are all separated from each other on the page, kind of like their own little thought worlds. And the way that I've always gone about reading it is I'll read about four pages at a time and then I'll maybe reread them two or three times and then just sit with it for a few hours. So, um, because mm. there's so it's so dense, there's so much to digest that reading it any other way, like I wouldn't understand it. <laughs> um, it's just not the way I think it's meant to be read. So I like a book like that. That's one of the reasons why I enjoy um poetry or something like this that's written in kind of short sections because I can take my time with it and pick it up put it down Mm -hmm. um but then when I feel like putting my mind through the ringer less um I'm my cousin um over spring break gave me um a series about witches (laughs) so um Yeah. I'll switch over to that when I
0: want, um, just something fun to do. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so you have something a little bit more (laughs) lighthearted and I I think we we're often found in this balance of like wanting to dissect these like deep intense texts. And then we find ourselves so intellectually overwhelmed that we're like, I need something completely mindless absolutely and I think um that so yeah 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 go ahead uh, that lead that leads into are there any books that are considered terrible but are your secret pleasure
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> good that is the correct answer um yeah anything vampire related um absolutely yeah, yeah I I um like I said, from like a young age, I was really into vampires and then they became this. It became a cultural phenomenon. And all my friends were yeah. like, MK, are you like really mad that, you know, everyone is like taking like the vampire myth and like turning it into this fluffy twilight kind of thing. And I was like, no, give it to me. I'll, I will ingest any and all form, the sparkly form, the scary form. Like, <laughs> I really don't care. I mean, how who would I be if I took myself so seriously that I'd be like, no, vampires have to be this way? <laughs> that would be ridiculous. So yeah, I read Twilight, I've read Anne Rice, I've read I read all that stuff for sure. And um, you know, I might I might reread some of my favorite Anne Rice novels over this endless sea of being alone in my apartment in the next know how
0: long. Yeah. Yeah, You've got endless yeah. opportunities. Um, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would trust uh, an intellectual, like learned person who said they only read like Hemingway sure. and Steinbeck and like Dickens. I'm not like, what is your guilty yeah. pleasure? I like
1: like everyone I has know one. people that maintain that they don't have any of those guilty pleasures and I don't trust them for a second and
0: boring, <laughs> boring people. Well, it, it's also so limiting. It's like, not everything has to be Hemingway. Like, you can read something off the New York Times bestseller list, and enjoy it just as much, if not more uh, than, you know, any of these texts that we consider to like literary it's like pop
1: music or candy it's like not really like good for you per se but like everybody likes it you know like whether you want to admit it or not you just can't overload yourself on it because
0: it's not healthy (laughs) right it's the it's the macaroni and cheese Mm -hmm. of of books exactly like great in small doses and every now and then comforts Mm -hmm. the soul but also full of calories um Perfect. Okay. Um, anything? Yeah. Now that we've ended on such a fabulous <laughs> note. Um, well, MK, thank you so much for joining me and uh, for being the the first guest on Lit with Meredith. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was it was fun
1: absolutely to think about um, and to to talk about books with you.
0: I can't think of a topic that I enjoy talking about. Yeah. More. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you All later. Right, thanks so much. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.